0: Hallelujah. What a great day in the Lord today already. Um, Just thank you all for being here, and this is a a nice time. I'm going to share a couple things that are a little heavy, if if we can go there. Um, They're heavy in the regards to there's some truths about God, about future, about judgment, about heaven, and... A reward that awaits us that is is sometimes challenging to like really just grasp and get a hold of but for for a couple of reasons. Is one is is um, I think just hitting it straight on is uh, we kind of want everybody to just be blessed. We want everybody to be in heaven. That, isn't that a desire of yours? Can I ask you just a question to just be with me for a minute? Don't you want everybody to go to heaven? Yeah. Do you know God does too? <laughs> Did you realize that? Yeah. God actually does too. Um, and we might want to think, well, then why doesn't He just make it happen? And why does it why is this there this thing and, and some some people have such a struggle with it they actually, if I could say this they They've they've done it, and there's been preachers that have done it, and they've erased hell altogether in the Bible. Took a sharpie to it. Said, no, it doesn't exist. Don't teach about it. Don't talk about it. Because it's non-existent. And so we, because if there's, if that's a hell, then if there is a hell, and if there is this thing called judgment, then, oh, snap. We're all subject to it. Nobody gets out of it. Hello? And and that there's, these are truths that I believe that sometimes they're hard to grapple with, but I think we must. And and I, so this is one I, and I shared it last week that it's a, it's a subject matter that's been really pressing in my spirit for a long time, actually. A long time. Um, I, I think I said about a year, but it's been years, actually, this, this subject matter and I've been waiting for the opportune time to, to speak about it. Um, it was back even back when Glenn and I would have great conversations, theological discussions. And, and this was one of them that we discussed quite frequently amongst ourselves. And, this is in, and I, it's one that I, I've been developing, if you will, in my spirit, in my mind, in my heart. And it's, it's, it's a subject matter of a reward that awaits us. A reward that awaits us. And it's, when, I, when you stop and really, like, just take a look at the teachings of Jesus. And, and a lot of Paul's teachings are, are honestly, they're explanations of Jesus' teachings. Uh, remember Paul, when he first got knocked off his horse, uh, he went away to the wilderness for three years. He went away um, and just spent time with Jesus. All alone, just he and Jesus, in the woods. I mean, I, I I've, uh, uh, that's pretty darn cool. And so, a lot of the stuff that Paul—he's just really explaining and he's elaborating and defining the teachings of Jesus. And and so, when we read Paul, you can you can really <clears throat> say, and I come to this conclusion that you're you're hearing from Jesus also. Paul's. He's written a good chunk of the New Testament. You guys realize that, right? So that's a good thing. So basically, you're hearing the words of God when you read the Bible. What are you listening to? What are you hearing? God's word, right? So, so it's not that, not that uh, complicated. That wasn't a, a deep formula. It's very simple. So I titled this message, "Who Wants to Be Judged?" <laughs> Anybody in the room? Why not? <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> uh, she 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 said she sticks her foot in her mouth quite often, and she needs to take it out. So it's I, I, that's hilarious. Les. I think that's funny because it's so true. Uh, it's really true. I mean, not just her. I think all of us, if we really break it down and take a look at ourselves, we will say, Yeah, okay. Um, So I'm going to talk about two different judgments real quick. And I think it's going to be important for us to understand these two different judgments. Um, Because I I think a lot of Christians, a lot of Bible-believing Christians, a lot of modern-day believers don't realize that there's actually, in the Bible, there's two different judgments, very distinct different judgments that, that the Bible refers to. In fact, if you don't have that realization, if you don't realize that and don't know that, you can confuse them and if you just compile it all into one massive judgment at the end of all things it's it's really confusing because then it it becomes uh you, you know cuz it could become a salvation by works you know because uh, you know he's always encouraging us to continue to work out our salvation to to be busy about the lord's work to 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 be using your talents uh, uh throughout the entire New Testament, there's this place that Jesus goes to that says, you will be held accountable. You will face judgment. You will, you will stand before the throne of God and, 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 and you'll be held accountable for every even, even uh, careless word you speak. Like, well, wait a second. What's that all about? I mean, I thought that we were saved by grace and not by works so that no one can boast, but we're saved by grace through faith. Hello? So, so there's obviously two different things he's talking about. You guys with me? Okay, good. I, I need you to be with me because, and I even got a nice little chart. Uh, well, first, I'm going to just, uh, Michael, can you pop that up? Because there's two judgments. I'm just going to um, refer to them both. One is the great white throne judgment, and the other is the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, good. It came up pretty well. I found this chart and I thought, oh, this is pretty good. This is pretty much where we're at as a church, as believers in this room, at least most of us, um, I hope. Uh, And and so there's this, the the great white throne judgment is is, uh, the judgment that, and I'm going to read a couple scriptures, but there's the, the two distinctions is one is for the great white throne is for unbelievers and the judgment seat of Christ is for believers, uh, when, when those will appear, take place, many believe, after the millennium and the, uh, for the great white throne. That, and uh, I'll, I'll read the scripture about it. You'll, you'll find it. it's in Revelation. Uh, and the judgment seat of Christ is after the rapture, but before the marriage supper of the Lamb, that, which is pretty cool. Uh, the great white throne judgment is, uh, and I'm just reading off this chart because it's easier for me to see. I see better from afar a like this. <laughs> And what is this, what's the witness of this? In other words, what is going to be the assessment of what this, the white throne judgment is going to be? And it's the books and the book of life. And that's in Revelation he's referring to, your name being written in the book of life. And of course, the judgment seat of Christ is each person must stand before Christ and give an account of his life, what you did with Jesus. This gets better. The last one is pretty awesome. And what is the role of these works? The evidence for condemnation and degree of suffering. In other words, it's it's what we go through, what what we have done in this life. We will ultimately pay for it in eternity. Well, I got real quiet. Uh, the judgment seat of Christ is based up for rewards or denial of rewards. You ever heard the phrase? I'm afraid I'm going to lose my salvation. Hello? Can you lose your salvation? We believe that you can't. Why is that? Why is it that you believe that we can't lose your salvation? For one, it's like, because if you can lose it, then how did you gain it? If you can if you lose it by screwing up, hello, how did I get my salvation in the first place? By being a screw-up. Hello? So it just doesn't make sense. You can't lose it, because if, you know, in other words... I came to salvation by grace because I realized that I am a screw-up, or I can't do it. Hello? Are you guys with me? So I can't lose it by screwing up. In other words, but, but what can I lose? The Bible is really clear. Your rewards. You can lose your rewards that are for you. They're all for you. God is looking to reward you. We talked about that all last week. God is looking to reward you. As though, as in the same breath, he's looking to save everyone. It's God's will that everyone come to repentance. It's this like you know, in our hearts, we want everyone to be in heaven? Hello, that's the heart of God too. You get that from Him. That comes from Him. That you didn't. That's not you. You didn't make that up in yourself. That's from God that to to want to spend eternity with Him. He says he has placed eternity in everyone's heart. In other words, there's a longing to be with him, and it's there. Now, we, can, we could choke it out, and we could stomp it out, and we could ignore it, or, and we could even explain it away if we'd like to, but it's still there. Hello? Um, so where did I leave off? I, I'm not sure. What's the final result? Of the great white throne judgment, eternal condemnation. What's the final result for the judgment scene of Christ? Rewards bestowed or withheld. So what's the issue? I like this. Faith in our Savior, faith in Christ as our Savior. What's the issue with the judgment seat of Christ? Faithfulness to Christ as Lord of your life. Remember last week we talked about what, and there's a bunch of Bible passages if you want to they're really good, really fantastic, and each of them explain or they say something that's really amazing in regards to these subjects. So you could you could uh, keep it up there for just another minute if people want to jot stuff down, but I want to read a passage of scripture, a couple of them. First one is in John chapter 5. You guys with me still? Yes. Good, cool. John chapter 5. Okay, now you can... Now you can uh, Verse 24 in the ESV version. I need to catch my breath. That was pretty exciting. Whew. John chapter 5, verse 24 says, Truly, truly, this is Jesus speaking. I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Do you see Jesus is connecting? He is sent by God the Father to bring life. And if you believe in me, you hear my words and believe me, believe him and believe him who sent me, then you have eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Hallelujah. Come on. There is, that is not a small thing. In fact, it's such a big thing that the Bible tells us that the entire heavenly realm, all of heaven's angels celebrate and rejoice and party when just one soul comes to repentance. When one person says yes to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. To the Jesus offer of salvation. Amen. And, and he said that the entire heavenly population rejoices, celebrates, has a party. Over each one. That's awesome. Because it's not a small thing. It's a big thing. Amen? Yes. Come on. And it, it ought to be a big thing to us, not just a, a, a subtle prayer. It's like, oh, yeah, I said yes to Jesus when I was, you know, 10 or 12 or 3 or 18 or, or maybe not yet. How, what'd you say? 48? Hallelujah. <laughs> That's right. Wow. But hey, never too late. Never too late. Never too late. Amen. And that is so, so, so true. Just did a memorial for a 95-year-old woman who passed. And at the last day on her deathbed in the hospital, she gave her life to Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, hallelujah. I mean, it was like, are you kidding me? That's awesome. I mean, she lived a good life. She was a good person and all this stuff, but never said yes to Jesus until... The offer of, until the explanation from her granddaughter when she wrote her a letter and told her about, Grandma, you need to know Jesus. That's the only way in. It, it, it was more words than that, but it, she showed me the letter, shared it with me, and it was just really amazing. I was, I was so thrilled to do this memorial because it was like, wow, that is hallelujah. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's something, there's a peace and a joy in, in eternity that that, that, uh, sh- that we're spending with her that I'm, I'm looking forward to. Never met her here on earth, but I look forward to meeting her there in eternity. So I'm going to go to this place, if you will, uh, real quick in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, this is this is where it's referring to the white throne judgment. So I think it's important for us to hear this and see this and understand this um, so that we don't fall into a... a delusional trap of, of um, thinking that love wins and everybody, and, and everybody wins in the end. And if we just simply, you know, do our best and, and, uh, find, and you know, as long as we seek after something. No, this is, this is the truth of God's word, the scriptures that tell us what's going to take place. This is in Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 through 15. He says this, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away. They were no more, and there was no place and there and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I can't read that scripture without coming to a place of emotional compassion and and, um, heartbreak of those that I know who have gone, lived their last breath, breathed their last breath and refused Jesus as Lord, as Savior, because that's what's awaiting them. And there's people that I know to this day that are alive and breathing and have a mind and have a heart and have a soul that are refusing the grace offered to them through Jesus and so when you read this, it, it, it ought to do a couple things. As one is the reality of the truth of what it is. It ought to, like, jar us, but it also ought to compel us, move us to love, move us to share the truth of the gospel, move us to be a witness for Christ, move us to lay aside the stuff that really doesn't matter and think about the things that really do matter. This ought to move us because it's a truth that will take place. You know, uh, and we try to figure out when and where and how and all that good stuff. I don't call it good stuff. I don't think, I think it's a, I'm not going to say a waste of time and energy, but it's, it really is a distraction, trying to figure out when and where and how, and all these, these things that, how that's going to take place. And the bottom line, it is. This is, a, is. this is what it is, what it is. And that's, that's something that I think that we need, just need to just accept as a truth. I don't think we need to. I, I, I know we need to, and it ought to move us, compel us to be sold out, to be actually people that are displaying, if you will, the love of Christ into people's lives so that they could see Jesus. And we ought to be praying, praying, praying so hard, so fervently, so compassionately for eyes to be opened, for veils to be lifted, for for hearts to be turned to the love of God and be receptive to seeing and hearing, and, and not, not, just, not just hearing, but really receiving the love of God in Christ. Amen? Amen. So there was a little place in that graph that I wanted to focus on, and that's it's going to be for a couple weeks or for a, I don't know how long, maybe at least a few. This thing called reward for us as believers that It's the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm going to hit this for a minute here. Um, last week I talked about um, what, it, what what pleases God. And it's our faith, our true faith, our genuine faith is what pleases God. It's like a father that takes pleasure in a child that just trusts him. Amen? And, and that's really how God looks to us he's looking to reward us and all he's looking for is our faith to just trust him and when we do that that's a place that he rewards us and and a reward awaits us and i will say this and i need to say this because i think it's something that even robin was like he didn't say it enough is our exceedingly great reward is what Okay, I'll I'll ask it a different way. Our great reward is who? How, you got that right. Amen. And I think that when I say it because I believe it 100% true is when we see Jesus, that's all we need. He's all we need. Everything else just dissipates, fades away. Everything. And when we are going to be privileged To see Jesus face-to-face, eye-to-eye, hand-to-hand, I think we'll be just lost. Lost in, in Him, in His presence. Not lost as though we're confused or wandering, but we'll be so found that we're lost in Him. That's profound. I don't know. That's... That's from the Holy Spirit. So let's go with this judgment seat of Christ. Let's take a look at it. It's also referred to as the Bema seat. What's that word even stand for and what's it mean? Bema seat. Anybody know? <laughs> I think there's a brand of toilet seats called Bema, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, Bemis. Okay, yeah, we don't want to. A Bema seat is this. I'll, 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 uh, I'll display it. It's this all it is. It's a high seat, a platform that, you, he could, that he sees everything as it is. That's the Bema seat. Um, we don't have that here in our church. We don't. Our preachers don't get up on a platform. Our musicians do. It's just to keep the, the equipment safe. <laughs> it's about the only reason. Um, but this judgment seat of Christ is also referred to as the Bema seat. It's the high seat. It's the elevated seat. It's the place that he could see clearly everything as it is. Um, so this is a place in, 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 the, in the Bible that, uh, as like I said, Paul's writing this. And he's writing this as he's spent this time with Jesus. So... And there's a place that he also refers to as as being caught up into the heaven and seeing things that man is not permitted to tell. So he's he's um, these are these are some of the things that he actually is permitted to speak of and to to uh, let us know and cue us in on, which is pretty fantastic because this actually defines something. It's in First Corinthians chapter three, starting. In, I'm I'm going to start in verse six, but this is a a place that as Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, um, and he wrote multiple letters to the Corinthian church, and a lot of them were just straight up, just flat out chapters and chapters and chapters of rebuke. Like, come on, church. Come on. You're just blowing it. You're screwing up. You're doing this. You're doing that. You're, you're letting somebody sleep with his mother-in-law for, right in your midst. And it's like, come on. You can't be doing that kind of stuff. That's not what Christians do. A lot of it was these kind of rebukes. Well, here's another one that he gets to, but in the midst of this rebuke, if you will, or correction, if, I wanted, if you want to be a little more kind with Paul's words, but it was flat-out rebuke. He's, uh, you know, you know, he's, he's, he's bringing to their attention, say, Hey, I'm hearing that some of you are walking around talking about who you follow. Some of you are saying, I follow Paul. Some of you are saying, I follow Apollos said, come on, come on, people. Apollos and Paul are just, all we are are servants. We're just workers. We're, that's all we are. We plant One plants a seed, one waters the seed. One, God's the one that makes it grow. That's all we are. We're just workers. We're workers in the field. We're, we're, we're builders of a building. It's God that makes it grow. In fact, he even says this about him. He says, I, I, Paul, you're, he says this. This is in the, in, in the first part of the chapter. You're just a bunch of babies. You're a bunch of babies. So I got to feed you with a bottle. So I'd rather give you some nice, good, chunky meat. I'd rather fire up the barbecue and feed you that. But instead, I got to bottle feed you still because you're acting like babies, infants, immature, it's an immature, and actually he calls it, it's fleshly. It's fleshly to have this sort of perspective to say, I follow this person and I follow that person. Um, because who are you leaving out? God. You know, we, we are compelled to be God followers, not people followers. Um, and you know Glenn was really good at that, at, and and it, but it still it still existed. How many of you struggled to to watch me take the place of Glenn's place because you followed Glenn? You realized that was a fleshly thing. That that struggle to to trust God speaking through me because well I like I like to listen to Glenn. I follow Glenn. You can follow Eric. You, you young kids, you guys can follow Eric, and we'll follow Glenn. Glenn would have smacked you across the throat. said, grow up. Grow up. Don't be a baby. Anyway, I think that was from me. That might not have been from the Lord. And you guys know that Stephen is, is being raised up to, to take my place here. Hello, this isn't about me. If this is going to stop with me, then we're screwed. Yeah, because it's not going to stop with me. The kingdom of God is not the dynasty of Eric. Hello? Yeah, that's funny because it's ridiculous. But we want to make it those things and it's a tendency. It's a fleshly tendency. So Paul is hitting something that is really, really good. Because he's going to go into an area of our lives being lived out in front of others, in front of God. And we are to live them out spiritually with an intention to please God. And not an intention to please man. Because that is that Um, If you will, that's the underlying motive of I follow after somebody because I want them to be pleased with me. Hello? Ooh, that just got a little deep. So I'll read the scripture because it's really good. And it's going to get a little deeper. And when we go deep, sometimes we get gritty. It's a thing that God does, gets in our business 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. So this is where I'm going to start here. It says, "...I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is really anything, <laughs> but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive the wages according to his labor." another wording and translate another translation will say re- will receive the reward according to his work for we are God's fellow workers we are God you are God's field God's building according to the grace of God given to me and like a skilled master builder i laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it so let each one take care Watch out. Be careful how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which one is other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. <laughs> There's no other foundation. He's the only foundation. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay or straw, Each one's work will become manifest. For the day, and that's capitalized, the day. What's that that mean when the day is capitalized in Scripture? The day. The day of days. It's the judgment day. The day will disclose it. "...because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as, one, only as through fire." In other words, as one barely escaping through the flames. <clears throat> Now, this is interesting, isn't it? I don't know if anybody's read that passage of scripture before or if it's like the first time that you've read that, but uh, I'm sure maybe a lot of us have. But this is a, a, a great place that Paul is actually, um, his language here is, is referring to something that I think is pretty phenomenal. Is one is the, the temple, because he's kind of going in. First, he says this. we're we're a field, we're a building, and then he's going to say, in the very next phrasing, he's going to say, and you're a temple. It's like, man, we're a lot of things. We've got a lot of stuff going on inside of us, who we are, isn't it? We're we're a field, we're a building, and we're a temple, because he's talking about this building of a temple. Now, Solomon's temple was glorious, absolutely amazing, and I think he's kind of getting this reference to Solomon's temple, because and When you read it in, like, 1 Chronicles, when, when uh, Solomon was building his temple, I don't know if you read, like, you got to read it in a modern-day English uh, um, uh, translation that, that gives us clarity of, like, how it was built and, and actually the, the um, excessiveness of how it was built. is really cool. You know, in Solomon's temple, it was built, it, t- it, re- it took, they started with, started with, 4,000 tons of gold, 4,000 tons of gold, (laughs) 40,000 tons of silver, that's what he tells us, and it says an immeasurable amount, in other words, there's so much bronze and iron, they couldn't measure it, immeasurable, like what? That was a building of buildings, hello? Now, just stop and really process that for a moment. And also the precious stones that were everywhere. And what he's alluding to is this this glorious thing that takes place when these metals and these materials are subject to fire. when When fire is put to them, they don't burn, they don't dissolve, they get brighter. They get brighter. Have you ever seen gold or silver being uh, um, burnt or being forged? It gets brighter to where it 's glorious and when it 's pure it becomes so it almost becomes crystal clear. and stones the same way they get beautiful and brighter when they're put to the fire. Did you hear that? that 's what he's alluding to and everything that we do is going to be tested by The fire of Jesus' eyes. From, I know I'm not even up here, but from up at a place where he sees everything clearly. He sees the motives of our heart. Why we did what we did. How we treated that person. How we responded. How we actually... You know, James says it in a, in a really just very straightforward way. He said, people come into your midst, and you with evil hearts, you look at them and you judge them because of the clothes they wear. And if you were to write it today, it would be because of the car they drive or the house they live in. Or So that's evil intention in your heart. Because you're looking at stuff that's this, and God looks here. At every single one of us. That's so cool. Um, it's been said that you could, you could take the gold. Is, is the divine substance. Is, is, the, is the divine moving of God in your life. Allowing God to have your heart. Is the gold in your life. Silver is that redemption's fruit. In other words, it's the stuff that now. Now I'm living out what God's doing in front of others. And It's redemption's fruit and, and these uh, um, precious stones are it's, it's, a, it's indicative of a transformed life. In other words, it's what I allow Jesus to come in and what I allow and give permission to the Holy Spirit to come into my life and make me new from inside and make me different. I give him that, permission to make me different, to make me new, to make me fresh, to, to renew me. And that's the, the gold and silver and precious metals, precious stones. And he says "There's wood. we could build our house with wood, hay, or stubble. Wood, hay, or stubble is going to look like what? It, it's, it's flammable. It's all flammable stuff. Stuff that can go up in flames. In other words, everything that we do is going to be tested by the fire of Jesus' eyes. And if it withstands it, then it's... There's a reward in it that awaits it. But if it's burned up, then we suffer loss. So I want us to look at what that looks like in our lives. Hello? Are you guys okay with that? Like taking, taking those things that we are doing, because we're all doing something. What, how, how is it going to last? How is it going to... Um, withstand the fire of Jesus' eyes. Uh, How many of you know that God's standard is different than ours? It's a rhetorical question. We, We should know that. That God's measure is different than ours. So we're going to talk about some things because he talked about this in in the Sermon on the Mount. Many places, you you know, I actually don't even want to allude to it yet. I I will for a second. You know, how he was, you know, if you love those who love you, he, he made a statement. He said, he actually said this right after he said that. If you love those who love you, what reward is there? Another, do you hear what Jesus is saying? It's all throughout his teachings. What reward is there if you just love those who love you? It's that everybody can do that. Anybody can do that. The tax collectors, and he had tax collectors that were following him. Uh, he, anybody can do that. The prostitutes, the heathen, the unbelievers. Anybody could do that. Love someone that loves you. But if you love... The unlovable, the difficult, you have a great reward. He goes as far as to even say, if you lend to somebody expecting it back, what good is that? Like, wh- wh- what have you gained? Your money back? Woohoo!" He really makes fun of it. Like, are you serious? That's all you get back is your money. I say go and lend to somebody that can't pay you back. That's why it's a, it's, a, it's a precedent here, at least within my realm that I can control, which is my family and this organization. We don't loan to anybody. We give. And if you want to give it back, you go give it to somebody else. Don't give it back to us. Don't give it back to me. Because that's the standard that God looks at. So it's, his is a little bit different. His is different than ours. Um, I wanted to share this because this is pretty good. It says, uh, we're building our house right now on the foundation of Christ. So our challenge and our, if you will, our... Uh, Mandate is to build with the right materials. Hello? Isn't, isn't that what Paul says here? Building with the right materials. And, and our goal is to build and our ambition is to build with gold, silver, and stones that aren't burned up. Wood, hay, and stubble may look pretty for a minute, but... It will be burned up. So I'm going to talk this for another about 15 minutes or so. Maybe maybe 10. And I will be done. I promise. In Matthew chapter 6. I referred to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I want to hit something that's really good. Because I think this is. I want to go. I want to start at these. here. If you can get this picture. Like I said. This, this message and this theme. Has been developing in my spirit for quite some time. Of. Starting at the, the, the issue of our heart and, and, and going from there. And then from there we can go to, I call it the minor issues, but they're all major because I think that that's a place where, you, you know, in, in um, Matthew 25, you know, we have these three parables. Well, one's two parables and one teaching that Jesus gives us, and one is a parable of, of the, um, the virgins and... and um, and then there's the other, it's a parable of the talents. And, and then there's this place where he talks about on that day. So he's talking about this day, that day is the capital day. He said, everyone said, the angels will come and my servants and the Holy One will come and will separate the sheep from the goats. Remember that story in Matthew 25? And he separated the sheep from the goats. And, and in separating the sheep from the goats, you're going to have the goats on one side, the sheep on the other side. And what he's going to do is going to there's going to be a measurement that he uses that's his measurement in separating the sheep from the goats, and it's a simple one, but it's one that that uh, you know some say, well, that's that's for the tri- times of tribulation for that, and it's like, well, yeah, I get that, but it's still it's still in the Bible and it's still Jesus teaching about a concept that he looks at things differently. And he measures differently than what we measure. And his measurement was this. It was very simple. It's like, when I was hungry, as a goat, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, as as a goat, you are the goats. I'm talking to the goats. You guys are the goats over here, okay? Sorry. Came in late. You sat over here on this side. Just kidding. That's not how it happened. So the goats, you know, you, 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 uh, I was hungry, you didn't feed me, I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. I was in prison, you never visited me. I was sick and you didn't come in, you didn't, you, you didn't, you didn't care for me. And they say, but Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, sick, in prison? And they said, well, you did it not for the least of these, you did it not for me. And then he goes over to the sheep and he said, ah, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was in prison. And you visited me. I was sick, and you helped me. Well, and they, same same response. When when did we see you that way? Well, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. What's his teaching there? What's the primary thing, the, the subject that he's teaching? What is the point of what he's making? What huh? That's that's getting deep. That's getting right there. Yeah, but from the heart. Issue is how we see. Isn't that, what he, that's, isn't that all he's saying? If you see people, if you see others, as to be picky and choosy of who you're going to help and who you're and, and maybe you don't see me in the midst of others, you miss the boat. Quite literally, too. And it's a boat I don't want to miss. Quite literally, too. So it's real imperative that we live this life, building our house, seeing as Jesus sees. Hello? they got really, really heavy, didn't it? Didn't it? But that's okay. You guys still with me? There's nobody dozing off. I can see that. I can see your eyes. In Matthew chapter 6, he says this in just a few verses. He says, watch out. Watch out. Beware. Take heed. Be careful. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do. Blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. That word hypocrite is... um, Nobody wants to be referred to as a hypocrite. Nobody. Uh, <clears throat> Interestingly enough, though, the actual Aramaic there and the wording of it um, is is more in the it, it falls more into that those that are hypercritical, those that are critical of others. Um, as Jesus referred to those people as you have a tendency to point out the speck in your brother's eye, but not look at the log in your own eye. That's hypocritical. And that's what he's referring to in this actual passage. Because we're looking at others and say, look what I do, but look what they don't. Look what I do, but look what they don't. And they blow a trumpet now that sounds kind of weird like who would blow a trumpet like I should have had Mike like (laughs) but what is that really you know so a lot of us we hear something like that we read something like that it's like I would never blow a trumpet but do I need to be noticed when I do something good does attention need to be made towards me for doing something good they call attention to their acts of charity. And I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward that they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Now, that, what, what, what I want us to do something... Can, can we just go back? If, and I don't, even have, not, I don't have it in my notes. I don't have it on Scripture But literally one chapter earlier, in the same sermon, as Jesus was on the same mount, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. Do your good deeds so everyone can see and give glory to God. What's what's the difference there? Glory. Approval. Because remember what faith does to God? It pleases Him. Good job. Somebody paid attention last week. It pleases Him. And faith is to trust Him and bring glory to Him. That's what faith does. But see, He's setting up this, this, He's letting us know that there's something that's really, that's taking place here that actually cancels out faith cancels out faith because remember I was talking last week about pleasing God with our faith one who recognizes his power one who realizes his goodness and one who walks in his ways one who recognizes his power one who realizes his goodness and one who walks in his ways is pleasing to God putting it plainly One who makes it all about Him. Hello? And listen to this. I want to give you some insight. A simple and very effective, very effective move that cancels your faith altogether. Make it about you. Hello? Because that's what Jesus is talking about here. Make it about you. In fact, Jesus gives us insight into um, those who have driven cars for quite some time. Myself, one, we we call them idiot lights, right? Okay, indicator lights. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) George, come on. Help me out here, bro. (laughs) It's like, no, you're on your own on that one. An indicator light on your dashboard does what? It tells you what's going on under the hood. Hello? Right? Or inside your car. In the, it's going it, it tells you what's happening in the heart of it. Or hello. So there's an indicator light that Jesus is giving us insight into is one what's if if this is going on in your heart? You're going to need to be what? Noticed for doing a good deed, for doing something well, for doing something right. That's an indicator light that there's something wrong in the heart. Hello? It's there's something very wrong in the heart when I need to be noticed, when I need to be recognized for doing something good. Just a few verses after this, he talks about then giving, which there's some, I'm going to talk about that uh, either next week or the week after. Because a few verses after that, there's a place that he says in Matthew 6:22 through23. And this is where I, I, I want to kind of finish up here, and I want to share something very, very, very personal. In this, uh, uh, Matthew chapter six, verse 22: 23, did I just say that? I did. Jesus goes on and he gives us this. This is right after he gave that teaching right at the beginning of this chapter. It says, "The eye is the lamp of the body." So if your eye is healthy, your whole body would be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. What in the world is he saying there? Is this some sort of mystery riddle? If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Well, let's go back and let's, let's remember what he's talking about here. Because if, you, if you're doing a good deed and you need to be noticed, it can appear as a light. And it can be an illusion, a delusion of being a light. But where the delusion takes place is when I need to be noticed. And then he says, how deep is that darkness? Do you you realize that there's a depth of there that he's talking about? A depth to darkness? Hello? That's, That's what he says. Jesus said that, not me. There's a depth to darkness that is an illusion to light. Or has an illusion of light. See, I think that there's when, when we need to be noticed, it's a slight darkness. But you know where it gets deeper? It's when we need to be needed. When I need to be needed, it gets deep, really deep. Because I start taking a role. I start putting on Jesus' is close. I start putting on a savior complex even. Like, and if you don't need me, phooey on you. It becomes really dangerous. It's a darkness that goes deep that can appear to be as light. I want to share something with you guys. And this is something I, I think is, is... It's been the, one of the most freeing things. That, And I like to share these things with, with, with you. When I say these things, it's not necessarily my conversations with God, but it's His conversations to me. Because if I told you all the things I told God, it would be... It'd be like, Leave me It'd be like, What the heck? <laughs> be like, Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I don't follow Eric. I'm glad I follow Jesus and not him. <clears throat> but when he speaks to me something that it's really clear and concise and very precise and, and almost surgical, that it, in a way that is impactful for not just me and my life, and, but for futures, futures of generations and this was something that he it was super simple but I want to share it with you and it was one of like I said one of the most freeing things that he shared with me and you may be like well hello that's easy but I was grappling with this subject I guess in my heart somewhere because he let me know something a truth and he said this Said Eric you do realize that I don't need you. I was like, "Well, what? What? What?" I can do the work through anybody who is willing. I don't need you at all. Like, well, <laughs> that kind of hurts. <laughs> but what was freeing in that was. The next phrase, which was, but I'm pleased to use you as you let me. And that was so freeing because it, it set me free to say, oh, God, I don't have to perform. I don't have to, I don't have to be a bunch of stuff. I don't have to try to f- figure it all out because you're going to do it. And if you do it through me, thank you, Lord, I'll, I'm a willing vessel. But if you want to do it through somebody else, have at it, please. And there was, it set me free to not have to be the guy. Hello? And it set me free to just be used as God sees fit. And I, I know that means something to a many here this morning, is a freedom To just simply be used as God sees fit. And that's a good thing. It's a freeing thing. And I want us to walk in that. Because when we walk in that, we're walking in his ways. When we fully are trusting him and recognizing his power. And realizing his goodness. And making it all about him and not about me. That's pleasing to him. And when we please God. He uses us, and he blesses us, and he rewards us, and he pours into us. And he's looking to do that in each and every one of us. There's not anybody in this room right here, right now, that he is not looking to reward you for your faith. He's looking for it. He's searching in there. And he'll even, if you just give him a crack, listen, a crack, a small opening a small opening, he'll just, boom, he'll flood you with his goodness and he'll flood you with his power. That's all he needs is a crack, a small opening. So let's not cancel it out by making it about me. Amen? I know that's a simple concept, but it does require absolute humility to take a position of humble surrender, to say, Jesus, <laughs> it's all about you. It's not about me. I know that's a cute saying, but it's one that we if you got to hear it over and over in your heart, and your head, let the Lord speak it. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that your mercy is new every morning. Your grace is so sufficient. It's completely covering of all of our failures, all of our mistakes, even the places that we have become even delusional about ourselves. Your grace still will work its way in and transform our hearts and make us like you. You. And we thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that your love for us is everlasting. That your payment for us on the cross, that your, your sacrifice was good enough. To where when I just simply just surrender to you, just say yes to your will. Your will in my life is all I desire more of you less of me and in Jesus name fill us with your spirit fill us fulfill us to be your servants to be your vessels to be all that you've created us to be designed us to be empowered us to be purposed us to be in you